Pod Academy. I'm Tess Woodcraft. Amidst increasing concern about growing inequality in the global economy, many academics are exploring new economic models. And this week I've been talking to Christian Faber, an Austrian academic, about what he calls an economy for the common good. I started by asking him, why the common good? What's wrong with the present system? The common ground for the collateral damages of the present economic system is that we're mixing up uh, goals and means. We're striving for the accumulation and maximization of money or capital, although money and capital shall only be the means of the economic activity. This is what uh, constitutions of democratic countries tell us. Capital is an important means, but only the means and not the end. The end uh, is the common good. This is what uh, many constitutions tell us. But we are not striving for the achievement or the increase of the common good. And I think this is uh, the main reason for many things that are going wrong in the present economic system. But most people are better off now than they were 100 years ago. And that's not just in the West. That's actually almost a global phenomenon. Of course, there are some losers. But by and large, people are getting wealthier. On the first sight, there is uh, more wealth than ever before in history. And many people have their house and their car and they have a material wealth, uh, which is unprecedented in history but um, they are not happy, they don't find meaning, it's at the cost of ecological destruction, it's at the cost of rising inequality, it's at the cost of ever weaker democracy, and that's why in Austria or Germany, uh, countries that belong to the most wealthiest countries on earth, almost 90% uh, of citizens say that they wish a different economic system, which is not only creating wealth, but which is at the same time not creating collateral damages. At present we are witnessing that the damages that are created by the economic systems are um, bigger than the benefits that is creating. But if you only look at the financial indicators, then you will not find this uh, negative overall balance. You uh, have to make a complete picture with all values. You could sum up uh, with life quality, with happiness, with a good life, as it was already defined by the Greeks, or the common good. The common good is the, the theme that runs through your book. Indeed, it's subtitled Creating an Economy for the Common Good. What do you mean by the common good? Well, uh, a priori, there is no definition for the common good, as, as little as there is for happiness or for a good life or for life quality, although we are all using these words and these slogans, if you want so. Uh, but it doesn't matter, because um, the movement for the economy for the common good uh, says the only meaning that the word has by itself is that the well-being of every single human being uh, counts equally, and not only human beings, but all living beings. This is the only meaning which we, which we understand by nature of the term. Everything else, and which is 95% of the <laughs> meaning of the word, uh, can only be found out in democratic uh, bottom-up processes. And this is maybe uh, also the great uh, strength of this model, 
the idea and the strategy is that people gather in their uh, villages, municipalities, hometowns and communities and figure out together uh, the 10 or maybe 20 most relevant ingredients of life quality or the common good. And then we will see that we are all human beings. <laughs> we all belong to the same species. We all share the same basic needs. And that's why those outcoming common good indicators or the common good product, which will later replace the GDP as the main success indicator of a national economy, will be very similar almost all over the world. That's a very tough call, though, isn't it? It means that people have to be engaged, not just in the short term, but in the long term. I can imagine a burst of energy and, and commitment uh, and enthusiasm at the beginning of a process. You can look at the Soviets in, in Russia, for example, after 1918. Briefly, everyone involved, everyone engaged. But after a bit, people say, oh, I just want to get on with my life. How can you protect against that and, and the emergence of a professional political class? Maybe finding a balance. Huh? For sure, we need more democratic commitment of every single citizen than we are used to today. But we will have to find uh, the golden measure, not only in the long run, already in the short run. But uh, what we are asking citizens for is to engage maybe once in a lifetime in a democratic assembly, which lasts one year and consists maybe out of six gatherings every two months. So this is not asking too much from a person. Second, if we get a direct democracy as a complement to indirect or representative democracy, um, we will have to um, vote maybe twice a year on two or three questions of uh, high importance. And maybe a third and already last um, um, responsibility might be that you become a board member of your local water supply company or energy supply company or even the, the national money <laughs> supply company, which is a truly democratic bank, once in a lifetime for four years or five years. And if you add these three democratic responsibilities, then uh, there is plenty of time <laughs> for uh, other life activities and I do not think it's asking too much from people. So let's have a look at what the economy for the common good entails. You've said that it in, it's about values, goals and means. Perhaps we could just go through those one at a time. First of all, values. Yes, I think um, the values are the, the fundament of culture and of a common strategy of the culture. The goals uh, already um, are a consequence of the values. And that is what we already have today. We have um, constitutional values in all countries that have a constitution. I know that UK is a slight exception on that, but uh, there is also the, um, the Bill of Rights. And so <coughs> also the UK shares many of the fundamental values that are um, entrenched in the constitutions of democratic countries, like human dignity, like solidarity, like social justice, like ecological sustainability or like democracy and freedom, of course, as well. Um, and as we have um, these uh, six core values and put them together, then uh, constitutions already today tell us that the overall goal for the economy shall be the common good. 
This is a first shy attempt of definition of common good. It's the playing together of these six values. We shall not violate one single of them. A society shall be just and solidary and sustainable and democratic and respect the dignity and the rights of every single human being who is, thanks to that, free. And um, what is missing is that we break down this goal for the economy in concrete um, components or ingredients. And we do it for the national economy in a, in, in a first turn. And these are the 20 ingredients for life quality. In a second term, we do it for the companies. This is a set of indicators from the, the meaning of the product or the service of the company, how humane are the working conditions, how big is the ecological footprint of the company's activity, how just is the distribution, are men and women treated equally, are persons with special needs integrated or excluded, and how democratic is the decision-making. And the third is uh, almost the same exercise as the second one. It's for investments. Uh, but to explain the difference, today we only measure the success of uh, an investment uh, on, with the financial return on investment. And this success only refers to the means of the economic activity because although we know that we have more money afterwards than before, we do not know at all if this investment increases the common good and its ethical impact, if it is respecting the environment or destroying the environment, if it's improving human relationships or um, diminishing the quality of, if it's improving the working conditions or um, worsening the working conditions, if it's undermining democracy or strengthening democracy, we don't learn anything about the impact and the consequences of this investment on our fundamental values, which you could also denominate our common goods. And if they are worsened and diminished, then our common goods are expropriated and we still consider this investment a successful one. And this is the systemic failure we, in the future of an economy for the common good, we would only consider successful an investment if it's at least not harming the common goods and in some the common good. And surprisingly, this is what already constitutions tell us. Just one example of many, the Colombian constitution tells us ec economic activity is free. There we have the value of freedom. Everybody is free to found a company but the economic freedom is only within the boundaries of the common good. And this is the proposal that we shift the main attention of economic activity from the means of the economic activity, from the financial indicators, to the goal of the economic activity, which is, in sum, the common good. The definitions you're using, the values that you're drawing on, freedom, equality, human rights... We see them very much as universal values, but in many ways they're 21st century Western values. So in your common good universe, who defines the common good? Well, every single democracy. It is not a global approach. It is a, a tool for every democratic community. So every country is free to decide something completely different, but <laughs> our experience and also scientific research shows that the fundamental values are universal. 
we are not talking only about constitutional values, we are also talking about uh, relationship values, which are the values that allow human relationships to flourish. And no matter where you ask people in the world which are your relationship values, the answers are almost or exactly the same answers, like um, honesty, empathy, tolerance, uh, cooperation, sharing and trust building, for instance. This is the same in all countries. And uh, so I'm very confident that even if there's absolute democratic freedom to decide whatever people wish to decide in a truly democratic process, they will have very similar results as for the goals and the values of the economy. If it was not like this, there is no problem at all because the only consequence in a global economy for the common good would be that not all countries trade freely with each other. This is exactly what we are now um, asking for. Um, one, one example, um, the trade is, uh, is on the one hand an economic freedom, but it is not an end in itself. Trade is only a means to achieve the actual goal, which is sustainable development, which is the full respect of human rights, which is uh, the maintenance of cultural diversity, which is the common good in its broadest sense. So um, whoever is respecting these goals uh, can trade freely, for instance, with the European Union. Um, United States is now a, a trade partner, a, a preferential trade partner even, with the TTIP. But the United States uh, did only sign one of the two human rights um, covenants. United States did only ratify two of the eight core uh, ILO labor norms. United States did, all, did, uh, did not ratify many of the multilateral environmental agreements within the United Nations. United States did not ratify the UNESCO Convention on Cultural Diversity. So <laughs> if, we, if we take our Western, <laughs> and uh, I, I stress it a lot, um, values seriously, then we should seek free trade with countries who respect these international agreements and norms and um, in the degree that they do not respect them and did not ratify them, I would charge an additional tariff of maybe 5% per core labor norm not ratified, 10% per multilateral environmental agreement not ratified, and for sure 20% for every uh, human rights covenant that has not been ratified. And uh, this uh, would, in difference to the TTIP, be a global approach uh, from the part of the European Union. Equal conditions for every partner and not special conditions for one uh, preferential partner, which is the case with the TTIP and the United States at the moment. You call this an economy for the common good, though I have to say it sounds more a philosophy, a utopian philosophy, than an economy. Do you think that you're putting it through the lens of economics because that is the dominant lens of the current period? Well, I'm, I'm making the effort to explain something which is uh, by nature not purely economic, also for persons who have studied economics and who use to communicate in terms of economics. I'm not an economist, although I'm teaching on Vienna University of Economics and Business for more than 10 years, but very intentionally I did not study um, academic uh, economics because it's uh, too narrow the approach 
I wanted to study universal sciences, which I could not do at universities, which is uh, curious enough, because why do they have this name and then do not offer what is in their name? It comes from the universe, uh, and universe in Latin means literally one single verse, uh, which means one song, or a little bit more pragmatic, um, everything is a coherent together, a whole. And I deem myself as a holist, a holistic researcher, and I'm very interested in, in the economy, but as part of the whole. And in history, um, this always has been like this until Adam Smith and even after him, um, the economy and economic thought was always integral part of philosophy. Uh, Aristotle, for instance, was a very early economist. He differentiated uh, the oikonomia as a good economy where money is only a means to achieve the actual goal of the economy, which he defined as the good life. Adam Smith, 2,000 years later, uh, still was not an economist. He was a philosopher, even a moral philosopher, very curiously. And he first wrote um, the theory of moral sentiments before he then wrote The Wealth of Nations. And uh, at Cambridge, for instance, the first chair for economics with this name only came in the 20th century. So this is very uh, important to know that economics as an independent science uh, is very young, but uh, the divorce and the separation from its many contexts, from the philosophical, ethical, cultural, political, democratic and ecological context uh, only happened in the 20th, um, beginning in the 90th, but mainly in the 20th century. And the climax of this multiple separation, and uh, I would call it even autism, and there is <laughs> a school of uh, post-autistic uh, economics now. So this is an extreme um, Im Im impoverish impoverishment, and um, my approach to the economies is to re-embed economic thought, both and practice, into all its context, into real life, into um, the society with its democratic decision-making processes, into the ecological um, environment, because in the end, every single economic value comes out of nature. That's why we, we propose that nature shall always be part of the economic thinking and as well of uh, economic cost calculation and success management, measurement. In lots and lots of ways, none of us could disagree. So one of the major issues must surely be, would it work? People who promote, for example, ideas around social Darwinism would say it can't work because the survival of the fittest means that some people will always push themselves to the forefront and elbow out the others. Do you think it can really work, or is this actually just some ideas that you're throwing in for a discussion, for a debate, to raise issues around current injustice? Or do you actually think it can work? I am totally convinced that it will work, as the economy for the common good is not only a theoretical model. It is as well democratic process, or the proposal for a possible democratic process means a way of implementing it, and third, uh, it's a social and uh, democratic movement. We started less than five years ago 
in Austria with a dozen of um, entrepreneurs. So it's also an entrepreneurial movement. And um, up to date, it's more than 1,800 companies from 40 countries that are supporting the initiative. And 250 companies have already implemented the core instrument, the common good balance sheet, which is not only idea, but they have, uh, they have made it, they have done it. So give us an example. Yeah, well, we, we started with small and medium-sized companies. In Austria, more than 50% of all companies um, consist of only one person. In our movement, it's only 30%. So <laughs> they are, uh, on an average, a little bit bigger. But our biggest companies for the moment um, have between 1,000 and 2,000 uh, employees. They're from all branches, from biological gardens and farmers up to three banks that have already made the balance sheet. And uh, there are more than 100 universities and high schools that engage in, in some manner. Some just teach uh, the contents, some make research projects. Two universities of uh, Germany, for instance, work with um, 10 um, huge companies. Uh, three of them are listed at the Frankfurt stock market um, ab about the possibility, the applicability of the balance sheet, common good balance sheet for a huge company. So in, in, in very few years, um, many, many companies, universities, also municipalities, we have seven formally decided um, common good municipalities uh, in three countries so far. And this shows that the resonance is uh, enormous and uh, growing day by day. The rules of the game uh, shall um, enhance and reward um, human virtues shall reward cooperation and solidarity and uh, sustainability and democracy. And then these human virtues will flourish simply because we decide freely to enhance these uh, characteristics and values and not the other ones. Of course, if we um, learn about ourselves that we are by nature egoistic, then it's easier um, to behave like that and verse if the rules of the game of the economy uh, reward egoism and greed and, um, and crowniness, then people will be crowny and greedy and egoistic. Mm -hmm.